Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Man, that was a, that was a tough week of being in suspense. Yeah. Paywise yeah. still has COVID. It's the, that, that's, we know this to be true. How strenuous yeah. the week was. <laughs> <laughs> now we have done... On the Patreon special, which you can sign up for for just $1.50, we have discussed our primary school house experience. And everyone mm. was in a red, yellow, blue, or green house in primary school. Ours were named after the colonists. And we actually did a bit of colonial chat on the pod, on, on the, the Patreon. On the Patreon, yeah. You were, who was your, who was your house? I was Bass, named after George Bass. PY was Philip, mm-hmm. named after Arthur Philip. Yeah. You I, were. I was Cook, mm. named after Captain James Cook. I, I genuinely felt like a, a sense of destiny that I didn't live up to it at all. But <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely felt, man, I'm, I'm, yeah. I sat on the pod. This is a Harry Potter, Potter narrative here of being read, mm. named after the best of the four. Yeah. The one who actually first got to Australia. Yeah. And mm. I forgot my third point. I had a third point as to why I felt destiny. Anyway, point me, I, I was in Cook. And I genuinely felt, oh, the third point, and I'm near Botany Bay. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that actually felt quite special. We did leave the story with Captain Cook setting sail from Plymouth. He left from Plymouth. Okay. What was their first thing that they needed to do on the journey that we set up from last week? The official. Stop at the servo. Get a, <laughs> and get what a pie, country? Buy in a Gatorade. <laughs> what, what country would be the servo? From England to Australia. Oh, geez, that's a great question. <laughs> Seems like a loaded question. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, that's, I'll, st- I'll stand by it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, no. Well, I, would they make it as, would they go somewhere in Africa? Or would they, oh, like, so they go through the Suez Canal, actually, wouldn't they? No, or, they didn't. So did they go around? They went around. You, it wouldn't make sense to go through the Suez Canal. But, but they okay. didn't. So did they stop somewhere in Africa? No. So they, it was after Africa. They went another route. So they didn't yeah. go through the Suez Canal. Yep. They've gone around Africa and they've gone, oh, I don't know. Like, so stopped in Rio de Janeiro. Okay. That was, that was a survey, but that was like a proper survey, if okay. that makes sense. So that, who, who was that a, under a colonial power at that time? Yeah. Portugal. Okay. And again, you know, like 
No, so I stopped at the petrol station and filled up with petrol. Mm-hmm. But then, you know how there's some 7-Elevens that aren't actually a petrol station? There's one in Cronulla. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. This one was like, we're actually going to stop at the servo for the servo, not for petrol. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a sailboat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so what'd they pick up? They Some oranges for the scurvy. <laughs> well, actually, no, this is the thing. James Cook was fanatical about diet. So he, mm. the only time he flogged his men was for eating poorly. I think they made a, they've had a very brief pit stop in Madeira, Renato's Island that he grew up on, off Portugal. Yeah, yeah wow. They made it full circle again. Um, <laughs> they made a very brief should, pit stop. Should be a new episode. Like, how did James Cook's pit stop in Madeira affect Renato <laughs> and his legacy? <laughs> I do. Um, but and in Madeira, they ate pretty poorly. For, and I think Cook was really big on them eating. I, it could be mistaken. I believe it was sauerkraut that he was like, you got to eat this. So they actually were really good with the diet and scurvy was kept to a, a pretty minimal amount. They had a pit stop in Tahiti. Okay. And quite a big pit stop as well to observe the transit of Venus. Oh, so they did actually go and they do needed what they to, said. Yeah. Yeah, officially, like report back on their findings, and generally, it is a pretty interesting thing. But yeah, it, yeah. It, what is the transit of Venus? Is it not when Venus and Mars go behind each other? Make I don't oh, know. Or maybe it it's just maybe it's just observing Venus. Yeah, look it up. Maybe it's just watching Venus. The transit of Venus across the sun takes place when planet Venus passes directly between the sun and a oh and a, Venus passes directly between the sun and a superior planet, becoming visible against. Wait, I'm so confused. Oh, no, that makes it just a bigger... Like, so if Venus is stuck between the sun and a bigger planet, you can see Venus. Circumference equals 2 pi r. <laughs> <laughs> All right, something about Venus aligning with other planets. Yeah. <laughs> we move we're on. Not, we're, not, we're not a science podcast. <laughs> so they stop in Tahiti. Um, uh, some of Cook's men fall in love with Tahitian women mm. and they don't want to go. Interesting. Cook actually has pretty positive relations with the native Tahitians. By and large, it's pretty positive. Yeah. And so it is when you look at Cook's encounter with indigenous peoples, you will find negative examples. Um, to, that wasn't his plan A. And so his plan A was actually to build peace. When it went pear-shaped, that's when you can kind of find the examples of, of yeah, obviously Cook outing, acting out of line um, and kind of rightfully condemning that behaviour. It is a little too simplistic just to say Cook rocked up and kind of made Indigenous people his subjects. He, he, he used them for trade. That much is true. Like wherever he went, by and large, he ripped off whoever he was trading with. Mm. But in terms of like death and destruction, he actually really wanted to avoid that. And that was only a last resort for, for, for Cook. So Cook had pretty positive relations with the Tahitians. And some of his men literally had to be dragged back onto the ship because they didn't want to leave they, mm. these new wives that they'd found. Um, or pseudo wives. I don't think they did an official ceremony or anything. So con- uh, we'll use the word concubines. So they didn't want to leave their, <laughs> these concubines that they'd that they'd acquired. And so Cook drags them off, puts them on the boat, and they then sail to New Zealand. They then spend from 1769 to 1770. They spend roughly about half a year going around New Zealand and tracking the coastline. It's only the mm-hmm. second time a European has been to New Zealand. Yeah. The first time was Abel, Abel Tasman. I think I forgot to say on the last pod as well, Australia was originally called New Zealand. So Zealand is a Dutch province and okay. originally they called Australia New Zealand. But again, 
as they kind of looked at the magnitude of Australia, they're like, whoa, 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 this isn't just New Zealand. This is New Holland. Mm. And then when Abel Husband goes to New Zealand, he's like, this is New Zealand. <laughs> and so <laughs> take that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically they chart the coastline of New Zealand. There's a lot of stories in that, but that we'll, we'll save that for a New Zealand pod because we do want to focus on Australia. He then sails west to Gippsland. Oh, did you get some yogurt while he was well, there? Well, that's the thing. When I first moved out of home, I bought a lot of Gippsland yogurt until it became quite unaffordable. It is expensive. Is it? It yeah, is very okay. expensive yogurt. It's and so, no, uh, it's no ski or yo play. Yeah, that's know, it. So. I moved. I moved to ski after that. Yeah. Um. It is. It is very tasty though. Mm. Um, yeah, no doubt. So he goes to the the the, the, the south of mainland Australia. Mm-hmm. And he starts to sail north, looking for somewhere to disembark. While him and his fleet are travelling north and upon the endeavour, they notice fire consistently. Mm-hmm. This is noted in the diaries of, of Captain Cook and in the diaries of Joseph Banks. Oh, uh, the botanist. The botanist, yeah, wow. Good memory. Yeah. He actually, he, I'd say he's more important than Dirk Hartog in the okay. story. <laughs> yeah. Poor Dirk. He's absolutely <laughs> copping at this. I won't stand for this anti-Dirk agenda. <laughs> now, as they're travelling north, they're looking for somewhere to settle in, but they, they do notice fire along the way. Eventually, they pull up to Botany Bay mm. and they decide that's a really good spot to disembark in. They pull up. And they first places they set first place they set foot on is Silver Beach, which is in Cornell. Okay, yeah, really close to where we did cross country. Oh yes, of course. So that's crazy. Yeah, we could have been just running laps around one of the first places that Captain Cook would have walked. I, I strongly believe where we ran was where uh, a number of indigenous settlements were. That's crazy. I'm. I, I can, I, like, kind of just looking at the landscape, that's a very logical spot to kind of set up camp. So yep. basically, the the people that were living there were a group called the Gweagle people. So mm-hmm. we've got, when I use, I'm going to use a number of different indigenous countries here. We've got to remember, largely nomadic, there is defined land, but there's a large amount of fluidity. It's not as hard and fast with the borders as, say, nation states are today. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Darwell people are the main group that's there, but we do have the Gweagle people that are in Cornell. And two Gweagle men, when they see the Endeavour rock up, they come out with spears. Yeah. Pretty quick Pretty quick thinking to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. It would sure look like a threat seeing that huge lump of wood and sails come towards you. We believe, well, we're not 100%, but it's quite likely they knew in advance. They knew? That Captain Cook was coming. Oh, like because they'd seen him coming up the coast? Or- well... But they, they can't see all the way down to Victoria. Oh, but like if they, you know, they the, they lit the beacons, you know, yes. one door calls for aid. Exactly. So that's that's what the fire was. Oh, I see. So, oh, legit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So basically we're, we're not 100% sure. Why would there, is it just coincidental uh, kind of fire management, um, like doing backburning? Maybe. Hazard reduction. Hazard reduction. Sorry, <laughs> no, techni- technically not backburning. Um, yeah. Are they doing hazard reduction? <laughs> Probably like that seems more far fetched than using a beacon signal, which was used in indigenous culture. Mm. So they probably anticipated Captain Cook coming, and then two Wiggle men came out with the spears. 
what I what I would kind of want to think about if I'm a Google person at the time, are you hoping that they pass through the same way? Are you like, if I'm a Google person, I'm like, oh man, of course they rock up in our one. They yeah. passed all these other countries. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to light the fire to send the people on the other side, like the digital people on the other side of the bay that they're coming. And now that they pull up on our bay. Anyway, they basically cook tries to offer beads and basically like bring the effectively what they'd done for other nations and be like, Hey, we've got goods. Let's trade. Indigenous people, no interest in trading whatsoever. Same thing as the Wikmungan people in the north. Basically, like, this is useless. We want tools. We Like, give us something that we can, like, you know, hunt with, sure. Mm. But they've got no interest in Cook's beads. Cook's trying to communicate with them, obviously, such different languages. Yeah. So it's not even the same as, like, an Englishman trying to communicate with a French person. It's like, one has the Latin alphabet. One is largely non-written. Like, just such different languages. So communication's not impossible. So Cook just resorts to firing his musket in the air. They don't initially flee. He fires two more times and then they flee. So then Cook Cook disembarks on Silver Beach. I'm trying to... How good's your knowledge of Cornell? Uh, it's not phenomenal. Um, you know, whether... Did he get stuck on, you know, those big rock break walls, you know, that they've got coming... Do you know how... The, the one that goes heaps far into the bay? Yeah, there's a couple of them, I think, just the lines of rocks, you know. Yeah. They're man-made. I'm, I'm making a joke here. Obviously, they weren't there when cooking. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to forget what you're talking about. You know the, how, like, the the beach where we'd go and watch the fireworks. I haven't um, watched the fireworks oh, in yeah. You're missing out. Um. Uh, the big pipe that goes all the way into Botany Bay. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, you can you can drive pretty much drive halfway into Botany Bay if they let you through the security clearance site. Could be for oh, the oil refinery yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or okay, for the desalination yeah. plant. I don't know which one it is. Yeah. That was basically that was where he landed. Gotcha. And so Cook disembarks there. Um, what the colonists, they kind of go through and they look at it. Or I shouldn't say colonists because they weren't actually trying to colonize at that point. The explorers or the, the venturers, they were going through and basically the indigenous people fled. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And they found indigenous children hiding in shelters and basically it was really unsuccessful. The encounter was really unsuccessful. Mm. They wanted to make positive contact and it, yeah, basically just didn't work at all. Um, so why did Cook fire his gun? Like in the air? Yeah. Uh, to get the people with the spears to run away so they could disembark. Right. Okay. So they're like standing on the boat being like, here's some beads. Yeah. And then, they don't take the beats, and so they. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, they're okay. hoping that that will get them to calm down, just to say we come in peace, not to kill you or whatever. I'm just picturing like the ah, oh, the negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it, the negotiations were unsuccessful. <laughs> they, they were short. Uh, <laughs> and Cook, after about a, a week or so, there, Cook's like, "Yep, we we got to get out of here." While Joseph Banks is having a great time, so while <laughs> while. <laughs> While Cook is really struggling with his relations with the indigenous people, while the indigenous people are scared for their lives as these aliens rock up, Joseph Banks is like, oh, that's a cool plant. Uh, I just picture him like lying on his stomach, just like kicking his legs in the air as he doodles in his little notebook. <laughs> and like, this is the guy that has Banks, the, the, like the hardest for a while, I represent the, the hardest town in Southwest Sydney. This is the guy that gets it named after him. Is Bankstown named after? I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of it. Um, Makes sense. So Joseph Banks, and this is the other thing as well. 
because there's no rock stars or anything like that in the 1700s, explorers and scientists are you rock stars. Joseph Banks was like... He was the boy. He was a celebrity. He'd, um, he'd turn up into... Into the tavern and <laughs> I mean, maybe he, ladies would swoon. Maybe he was more of like a Jordan Peterson style figure. <laughs> <laughs> so he originally calls it Stingray Bay. Okay. Hence why our football club, which backs on a Botany Bay, is called the Stingrays. Is that the true? I just thought because there's just stingways around. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. That's interesting. So it originally calls it Stingray Bay and they decide, uh, you know, Rather than calling a stingray bay, it's so abundant with kind of new wildlife and flora and fauna that we've never seen before mm. that we'll call it Botany Bay. I know. I like it. Yeah, it, it's kind of good. It's like nothing else worked here. Nothing else was good here except botany. <laughs> <laughs> like We're not going to call it, you know, successful interaction with natives bay. <laughs> so let's call it Botany Bay. I, I imagine like cause a, lot of, a lot of spare time on the, on the boat. Just like workshopping. <laughs> oh no, Stingray Bay doesn't have that punch. In, in terms of geography, so you've got Cornell on the one side. You kind of go to where the bay, to George's River on the south side of the bay. If you want to go in deep into Sydney, yeah. You have Brighton Sands mm-hmm. on and Ramsgate on the other side of the bay, yep. where the bay ends. Yep. And then you go to where the bay closes off and goes back into the ocean. You've got La Perouse, La Perouse. and Port Botany now. Yeah. Someone, I won't say who, someone was probably watching from La Perouse what was happening in Cornell. Mm. Yeah, it would be hard to miss. Yeah. So they're watching all this unfold. They're like, what the heck is happening? Yeah. That person will become very important later in the story. Oh, boy. So that ca- feels like, you know, how like the scene at like the end of an episode where they see like this hooded figure standing on top of a building <laughs> and, and, and credit, they don't reveal the face. And, and end credit scene in yeah. like a Marvel movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, Captain Cook and the first, uh, not the first lady, Captain Cook and the Endeavour, they set sail out of Botany Bay and they go north. It have some issues with sailing through Queensland, bang into coral. Do they? Oh. Coral can. Now, the Endeavour was designed for shallow waters, mm. but no ship survives against coral. Yeah. Um, particularly a wooden ship. So they had some issues with the coral reef, but they largely get out of there. Cook does a second voyage. So he's a rock star now. He's like, well, my man's just, just charted the eastern coast of Australia. Yeah. And realised that Terra Australis, at least in the form that people believed it in, wasn't a thing. This guy's mm-hmm. just proved Terra Australis. Yeah. And so he comes back, even though Abel Tasman effectively did it earlier. But Captain Cook comes back as a rock star, does a second voyage, and he, he's actually trying to get to the southernmost land. So they don't, they don't know Antarctica exists at this point. So he sails really deep into the Southern Ocean um, at, and he comes from the Pacific Ocean. Had he attempted to reach Antarctica or the southernmost land from the Indian Ocean rather than the Pacific Ocean, where he got to, he would have hit Antarctica, but he just yeah, entered right. the wrong side. And so mm. he's like, man, this is too dangerous. i got to get out of here because the, the winds and the cold. Yeah, that's crazy. Like who in their right mind just is like, yeah, I'm just going to keep sailing into the Southern Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's not even a good idea to do now, let alone like with the chips and stuff they had. Yeah. Like what the heck? And so like, again, basically relying purely on wind to, to direct you and whatever. Yeah. I do occasionally when I go to the beach, I'm like, man, what I just got in a kayak and just, just started going that way. I'd still miss New Zealand because I'd go too far north. But I'm like, you know, remember those kayakers that kayaked in New Zealand like 10 years ago or so? Mm. Um, they just decided they'd go for a paddle and decided they'd go all the way to New Zealand. Um, Is that true? They just woke up one day and were just like, 
I'm just going to like, I think so. I don't think, I don't think it was super planned or anything. Um, but anyway, so, <laughs> so Captain Cook does, does that second voyage and he then retires. Oh, hangs up the boots. Yeah. But he dies on sea, but he's Wait. retired. Oh, hang on a minute. He gets talked out of retirement for one last oh. job. <laughs> Again, I really think... Captain Cook, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> they could make a trilogy out of his life. Yeah. Okay. So first voyage, Australia. Second voyage, or even like you could even split the first voyage to movies. Second voyage, getting trying to get to the Southern Ocean. And yeah. that's where it all goes wrong. I could see why that would make you want to retire. You'd be like, all right, I don't want to... Flown too close to the sun, almost, yeah. almost kind of lost it all. Let's just... I just enjoy my rock star status here in England. Yeah, um. and he gets talked out. Gets talked out of it, and he's like, "Okay, one last voyage." Trying to look at like a, like a northern passage, effectively like between uh, Alaska and Russia. So, oh, he goes the other way. Yeah, yeah, right. So that actually leads him all the way to Hawaii. How do you get to Hawaii from there? Because they are coming from the south, right? And so inst- inst- he just misses the turn off to go north and ends up. No, I think he's stopping. He's stopping in Hawaii. Tactically, is Hawaii? Yeah, right. Okay, so I'm just trying to picture where Hawaii is. So, like, Hawaii is south of the eastern coast of Russia. Yeah, but right. significantly more south than it's in the equator. So it's yeah. a lot warmer. Anyway, why he's in Hawaii? He has some pretty. What year is this? Sorry, by the way, 1779. Well, 1778 yep. initially, and then it'll spill over into 1779. Okay, basically. It was commonplace, like it was normal for indigenous people to steal stuff from the colonists or from from the Europeans. Mm -hmm. And they had a policy for if that happened, like they kind of planned for it. The policy was we just kidnap an indigenous person until they give it back. So basically this this was kind of in your explorer training. If an indigenous person does this, what do you do? And like they had had policies in place for if this sort of stuff happened. Anyway, Cook decides he's kind of, Cook's losing his patience a little bit with the Hawaiians is, Relations like there's positive trade, but then also they kind of they've just been on Hawaii for a couple of months and they're getting on each other's nerves. Mm. The marriage, the honeymoon phase is over, yeah, and the marriage is struggling. And Cook decides, you know what, I've had enough of this, I'm gonna kidnap the king. (laughs) And basically, he's just like, yep, in order to when they kind of stole some stuff, in order to get that back, we're gonna, I'm gonna kidnap the king, and that doesn't work, and it the Hawaiians respond with basically stabbing Cook to death on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could see how that's happened. I could see why they've responded in such a way. There's a bit of a mythology that the Hawaiians believed that Cook was a god. I haven't really delved too far into it. I think that's largely discredited by most historians that I think they, they viewed him as powerful, but certainly not as like a god or anything like that. And so, so did they have some sort of respect or awe for him, or well, because he, he just because he brought all like, these new materials? Yes. Yeah, okay. the, the irony was he was stabbed by a British dagger, oh. not a Hawaiian yeah, yeah. instrument. So basically, a number of other um, of Cook's men die as well, and the, everyone else just flees to to travel home, like a bought mission. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like in the British Empire. I don't want to sound tone deaf, but I think it's not a totally false comparison it's, it's a steve owen-esque death in the sense that this is our great explorer yeah this is the guy okay. who can deal with the dangerous people that we didn't think were contactable or anything like it he has traveled the world done some of the most dangerous things like he's tried to he's traveled the southern ocean mm. and he's killed by hawaiians on a beach 
Yeah. It, it's not too dissimilar to like that sort of response, a sort of reaction. So Britain's got some big issues now. Their, their high profile explorer is dead. They've just lost the American Revolution. Of course. Yeah, yeah. As that's, yeah, end of the 1770s. And so they can't use America as a penal colony anymore. And also at the same time, France lost the Seven Years' War. That was a year that was a little bit earlier that took place in the Americas. They lost the Seven Years' War and France wants to build an empire. So mm. they're, they're a bit trigger happy and they're hungry. So Britain's... Joseph Banks, what he does is Banks effectively talks the British government into doing the First Fleet. He's like, bro, you've got to set up in Australia. The botany there. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the resources. I mean, the <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he, he was known as someone who had a bit too much of, like had quite expensive taste and would demand a lot from the government for expeditions. And so Banks effectively talks them into the First Fleet. And so they, yeah, send off the First Fleet, 1787, 1788, they rock up. That's crazy. So really Banks is the key figure here. (laughs) (laughs) Without him, yeah, we probably, they wouldn't have. He's the key to all of this. Yeah, wow. So, yes, Banks talks the the British government into setting up the First Fleet in Australia. P.Y.'s boy, Arthur Phillip, Mm -hmm. leads them over to Australia and they set up in in Botany Bay. Okay. Here they are. They've arrived. Yeah. Philip is like, man, this place, what was Banks talking about? This place sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this was yeah, so- imagine you've sailed for months and then you just like, you just end up down there and you're like, oh, what's the big, what's the big hoo-ha? Bay Vista isn't even here yet. <laughs> <laughs> So overhyped. The Nova, like, yeah, it's got the Nova tell. <laughs> um, so Banks, I uh, say, uh, Philip is like, yeah, this place is a bit of a letdown. We need to go somewhere else. And so then they actually sail round to set up in Sydney Cove, what they called Port Jackson at the time, which is Sydney Harbour on the Parramatta River. Yep. I'll get a visual just to show you. So I've put a map on the screen. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Sydney's geography well, basically... You've got Sydney Harbour, which is central Sydney. To the south of Sydney Harbour, you've got Botany Bay. To the south of Botany Bay, you've got the Hacking River. And then to the north of Sydney Harbour, way far north, you've got the Hawkesbury River. They're kind of the the four big ones. Mm -hmm. Sorry, side note. Why is it the Hacking River and not the Port Hacking River? I will explain. Okay. I will explain all about Port Hacking in just a moment. Well, actually. No, that's right. We can wait. Later in the episode. Yep. But yes. So basically, they're, they're the main rivers that we've got. If Philip set up in Botany Bay, Botany Bay would have been Sydney Central and everything yeah. like everything would be adjusted. Hawkesbury would be like the Central Coast. Mm. Maybe not quite, maybe, but somewhere in that kind of ballpark. Crazy to think about, like if you just look at the aesthetic of Sydney Harbour versus the aesthetic of Botany Bay. <laughs> <laughs> would there be a bridge like from Cornell to La Perouse? Oh, you'd think surely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, though, it'd have to be pretty high, wouldn't it? You'd be getting a lot of... Yeah, Sydney and also it'd be very unesthetic because the Sydney Harbour Bridge is significantly into Sydney Harbour. Yes, yeah. It'd be yeah. very unesthetic on the eye as you just walk, sail past. <laughs> True, I, yeah, yeah. I'm still waiting for the um, one day where the Bundina to Cronulla Tunnel comes in across the Hacking River. Mm. But... Oh, the ferry, is the ferry insufficient for you? <laughs> <laughs> Alas, we'll continue. So, Philip relocates to Sydney Cove and is like, oh yeah, this is heaps better. Mm. 
as a, someone who lived near Cornell, I'm still personally offended by Philip's <laughs> choice. And that's why I'm disgusted that P.Y. was put in his, <laughs> in his house. Yeah. Um, so Philip basically relocates to the, to, to Sydney Harbour. The issue is while he's in Sydney Harbour, he's got to think what's their policy going to be for Indigenous people because it went so badly for Cook with mm. the Gweagle. Philip has a very similar policy of, I want to make good relations. He basically gave very strict orders to the First Fleet that you do not touch an Indigenous person. If you kill an Indigenous person, we will treat it the same way as you killing an Englishman and there will be strong consequences. So you're not allowed to touch an Indigenous person. Word had probably spread from Cook's earlier encounter. And so the Eora people, that was a word that the English actually used just to describe the Indigenous people in Sydney. So when I use the term Eora, we're just broadly talking about Sydney Indigenous people. Okay. Yeah. Then you've got your sub. Then you've so got is so the term Eora is not an Aboriginal word. I believe not. Same yeah, way as wow. like Torres Strait Islander. That's very interesting. And so then within the Eora, you've got the Gadigal, you've got the Wangal, Bidjigal, which are Indigenous which are names. Aboriginal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, basically, he rocks up. So the Eora people are like, get the heck away from us. Mm. We know what you did. We remember what you guys did you know, 18 years before. And Philip's trying to be like, no, 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 no. We want to make peace. The Aura are probably hoping that just like with Cook, they're only going to stay for a week and then leave again. Yeah. But obviously they're not. They plant the flag. This is now British Crown territory and they're not going anywhere. So the Aura people, they hide and they like flee from the settlement. And you, you don't find many Indigenous people in that initial settlement period. Philip is like, this is not going to be a long-term strategy. So just quickly, so where have they settled? Do you know? Sydney, Sydney Cove. Like whereabouts exactly along the Parramatta River are they? Or so where like where like the Harbour Bridge pretty much is today. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like Darling Harbour, not quite as far east as like the eastern suburbs. Yeah. But yeah, just a little bit further further west along the the Parramatta River. Mm-hmm. So the Eora people they flee, and they're nowhere to be found. And Philip's like, this isn't going to be a long term strategy, because we are going to have to relate to each other. We're going to keep, we're going to keep expanding. The indigenous mm. people don't know that, but Philip's like, we're just going to keep expanding here. We've got to have some communication, got to have some dialogue, but they can't find indigenous people. So what he does is he starts to kidnap them. Okay. And basically indigenous people rightfully are like very fearful for their life. And she's like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just trying to kidnap you. To- I just, I just want to talk. I just want to talk. <laughs> um, the, the the rather sad part is that obviously there's no smallpox immunity, so when they get kidnapped, they die of smallpox. Yeah, right. And so all you're seeing is an indigenous person is someone who kidnaps your friends and then they die. A white person, yeah. yeah. As a, yeah, as an indigenous as person, an indigenous person yeah, you'd what, watch a white person take your friend and then that friend dies. Yes. And, and again, that's exactly like we talked about North Sentinel last time. That's exactly like the North Sentinelese philosophy towards British people. Probably why they killed that American missionary so quickly was because that's been passed, that story's been passed down. Mm. That with their magic powers, they kind of kill people. Anyway, so um, if you're an indigenous person, yeah, you've just seen white person kidnap, like we'll t- take a Rabinu, for example, kidnap a Rabinu, and then they die of smallpox. Who was a Rabinu? Sorry. Indig- an indigenous person, a prominent person in the Eora people. Another okay. person who was captured, the reason why his name, um, another person who was captured but didn't actually die was Benelong. Yeah. Okay. You heard that name before? I think I have. Yes. So Benelong's not the one they took back to. Who was the one they took back to? Benelong. Yeah, okay. 
So Benelong gets captured. The crazy thing is that Benelong uh, learns British, well, <laughs> learns English really quickly. <laughs> That's the crown in UK. That's the Englishman in you. <laughs> oh, Gaelic. And, yeah. um, but he learns English very quickly. Okay. Which is so impressive. Hmm. Like that is what what an achievement to be able to learn English at Lightning Fire. Like I did what, maybe four years of French, which is a much m- more tangential language. Than <laughs> <laughs> All I know is a sea of which I think please sit down. So, Je m'appelle. So very impressive on, on Benelong's part. Um, Benelong, he then dines with Arthur Philip quite regularly. So they have some dinner parties together. Okay. And Benelong tells Philip stories about war and Philip really likes that. And Benelong's like, okay, this guy's pretty easy to figure out. Just, just rather than talk about the Roman Empire, talk about <laughs> <laughs> talk about war. Is that the equivalent of sports back then? It's yeah. just talking about war. So that goes pretty well for him. And then Benelong escapes. Interesting. So, so whilst in England, he escapes. No, so this is all in Australia. Okay. He hasn't gone to England yet. Yeah. So Benelong escapes. And basically what happens is... Word gets to Philip that Benelong is in Manly Cove. Okay. Now, Benelong is from, is a Wungle man. That's kind of inner western Sydney. Yep. Goes right up to the Parramatta River, but he's more of an inner west. But he's in Manly Cove, which is north Sydney. So. So he's got across the river. Yes. And he's actually. He took the the harbour tunnel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, is like all the other indigenous nations that are now, they're like, man, this guy. Because we're going to have to band together to kind of work the situation out mm. and Benelong is kind of really respected. Later, a narrative would be written that he's a bit of a traitor for talking to the English and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But certainly not at that point in history. Um, so Arthur Philip, he brings a little squadron out and he goes, to, it kind of, I reckon it would have felt like kind of like a drug standoff or that sort of thing. Mm, like a, say my name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he brings his boys. Benelong's got his warriors with him as well. Yeah. And they kind of meet at Manly Cove together. And Benelong sees Philip come off the boat. He doesn't run away or anything. Um, and there's this really tense standoff. Philip tells his men to put his guns down, put their guns down. And Philip's like, well, I want to work, work this out. Put your guns down. Let's talk. Benelong points to a scar on his chest, on his own chest. So like uh, where he kind of, where he'd been speared. And like Philip can't work out what's going on here. When Philip says, put your guns down, one of Benelong's surrounding warriors spears Philip right where Benelong was pointing to his scar. Wow. Different interpretations of what that meant. Some have argued that they wanted just to kill Philip right there and then. Mm. I think that's unlikely. Warriors know how to spear very well. They would have hit him in a more fatal spot. Also, just finish him when he's on the ground. Not that hard. Yeah. I think a much more likely interpretation was that Benelong was pointing to a spear mark to say, you'll be fine. As if to say... You're gonna to have to go like welcome, like welcome to Indigenous country. This is a rite of passage. You'll live. As he points right. to his scar, that's that's. So they think that this scar was some sort of like that they all had to like a sort of a coming of age kind of thing or something. Yeah, either done ceremonially or through war. Yeah, and it's like either way, you've acquired that scar to prove your toughness and okay. prove that you belong in in Indigenous country. Yeah. Um, so basically, he he does that. He spears Philip. Philip and his men, they get onto the boat and Philip orders no retaliatory attack. Okay. Yeah, again, there's more shades of grey to the narrative than, yeah, yeah. than colonists bad, colonists good. And so basically he says, absolutely not, no retaliatory attack. Some historians have even called this the first attempt at reconciliation. 
Mm-hmm. If it stayed as is, there could have been peaceful coexistence for quite a long time. Yeah. Because at that point, yep, we're square. You've come, you've come and you've settled on our land. If you're going to live in our land, you've got to live in, in like, you, you have to go through this rite of passage. We've speared your leader in the shoulder. He's had to prove his toughness and he has. Mm. And Ben along and Philip would actually frequently dine after that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I'd imagine they, imagine it came up at dinner one time. And they're like, so can we just talk through what happened? In the <laughs> <laughs> so about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Ben along, yeah, Ben along did end up going to England. Um, like where, of his own volition, like he just, he would just, yeah, was wasn't, like, wasn't, yeah, yeah wasn't, wasn't put on the ship. Was all, like a diplomat sort of thing. Yeah. So he wanted to see what British society was like. And then he came back and decided he wanted nothing to do with it. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, it's kind of a flop. Um, it's cold. It's miserable. It's just it's a lot more free living uh, in, in an indigenous yeah, way. Yeah, imagine just like the just like the grey of... Well, actually, I guess it's pre-industrial Britain, but like... Well, no, it's it's still somewhat industrial, yeah. yeah. Like um, pre, like, proper yeah, yeah. industrial no, revolution, no, but still very, yeah. like... Yeah, very mechanical and it would be, would be very different. So, basically... Benelong decides, yeah, this place kind of sucks. We don't know if he might have met King George. We don't know for sure. Mm. Um, and yeah, he, like he went, he went along the Thames and that sort of thing, and kind of was like, man, I think the Parramatta's a bit better. Yeah. Um, Did he climb the Shard? <laughs> <laughs> Which one, Bill Wall game? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was for Benelong's point of view, it's a bit of a letdown. And he just returned to live an indigenous life. He could write in English, which again is also very impressive. So he wrote a letter. The first known English piece of English writing from an indigenous person was a letter to the family that hosted Benelong, where he was like, "Thanks for hosting me. It was really courteous of you to have me. All that sort of stuff." Mm. Um, so in the early seventeen nineties, things actually seem pretty good. Mm. Not. Again, if you not from an indigenous perspective, but from a coexistence perspective, yeah, yeah obviously yeah. for an indigenous person, you still got unwanted visitors that are on your land. Yeah. But considering how far south it could have gone, it hasn't gotten to that point yet. Mm. So Philip has got a bit of a problem though. So the second fleet's rocked up now. The second fleet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's other fleets there. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> talks about the second. Fleet. Yeah. <laughs> what year was that? Oh, I think 1790, 1791, yeah. sometime around there. Um, but the issue is, is that su- the supply ships keep going down. They keep going down. Yeah, the supply ships keep sinking and oh, wow. all, and all losing materials on board, and the first fleet is running hungry. Yeah, obviously, you just grow your own stuff at that point. Mm. Sydney Cove isn't great agricultural land. I haven't seen okay. too many farms. Where we live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> but they actually, they tried to grow crops and it didn't work so well at Sydney Cove. Yeah. To get good farming territory, you actually had to go further down the river where the water's fresher. Hmm. So Phillips kind of like with Ben along, he's kind of like, oh yeah, we were thinking we might move down the Parramatta River. Ben along's like hard no. He's like, you, you will not survive going down the river. And Ben along actually does try to warn Philip. He's like, you, you've gotten off pretty okay in Eastern Eora country, but you go down to anything further west of the Wangal country, down the Parramatta River, you will get a really hard time. Mm. The colonists also, with in order to get food, they outsource that to Indigenous people. So they trade with Indigenous people. So they hire a guy called Pemaway to be a hunter. And yeah, I've heard of Pemaway as well. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be really important. 
So Pemaway basically hunts food for the colonists in exchange for materials. And because yep. he's got the skills, they've got the materials, and they kind of do a, do a trade that way. Mm. Pemaway is from Bidjigal land. Okay. Bidjigal land, it's kind of fluid in the sense that it's not as easily definable with borders as some of the other indigenous nations. It stretches pretty much along the Georges River. Yep. It also stretches as far out as Botany Bay. Okay. Which means that as a young boy, Pemaway probably would have stood at La Perouse watching Captain Cook mm. interact with the Weagle people. He's the one who would have been watching on the other side of the bay. Interesting. Great narrative arc you've constructed there. Kim. It's really, it's, it's so, it's fascinating history. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I mean, I, my gut reaction is boo, you three, like, <laughs> but it's, it's so good. Yeah. Um, good in, in the sense of interesting, not in terms of outcomes. So Philip basically goes down the, par- he ignores Ben Long's advice. He goes down the Parramatta River and in the attempt of establishing farmland down the river. Mm-hmm. Pemaway is the guy that's like hard no He is the guy that Ben Along warned him about He was like there is a warrior that you should not mess with down the river It was Pemaway Pemaway what he does he's like obviously If we just get into a straight up fight we're going to lose We don't have we don't have the materials that you're going to have Yeah What we know is we know the land And you guys don't So we're just going to do guerrilla attacks Burning everything to the ground that's on the outskirts of the settlement Which is where the good ag- agricultural ground is mm. So you kind of work hard to cultivate a farm for what, like four or five months, burn it to the ground. Yeah. Gone like that. And Benelong, I uh, sorry, Pemaway actually coordinates all of these attacks. So Pemaway is simultaneously like trading with them and kind of hunting for them. And then also as they move down the Parramatta River, he stops hunting for them. But initially he was a hunter. Oh, so like, yeah. Okay. In the initial settlement, he was like friendly, but then as they encroached on yeah, his territory. Precisely. Like, yeah. And so Hard No burns it to the ground and just kind of like go back up the river. Mm. Things escalate when Pemaway kills a guy called John McIntyre, who was kind of Philip's gameskeeper. Kind okay. of uh, gameskeeper meaning like personal assistant. I see. Yep. A right hand man, chief of staff, that sort yep. of stuff. Yep. So John McIntyre. Now, Ben Along has utter disdain for McIntyre, but he doesn't for Philip. That kind of tells us a couple of things that McIntyre did. We don't know what did something to provoke this because mm. Pemaway's previous strategy wasn't to attack people so much. It was to burn. It was to do sabotage. Yep. So Pemaway just kills this guy stone cold. Like McIntyre says to his men, put their guns down and then Pemaway just spears him to death. Oh, wow. No context. That seems like a dog shot. Yeah, yeah. But in context, it's widely believed that McIntyre had killed and raped Indigenous people. Yeah. That's kind of the common belief because Benelong had disdain for him. The colonists weren't too defensive of McIntyre upon his death. So okay. they didn't, they weren't up in arms. But Philip was like, well, we can't just have Indigenous people, regardless of whether or not he had it coming, we can't just have Indigenous people. I can't let this slide. Mm. So then he responds and he escalates it massively. I would argue excessively. He, well, definitely excessively. He effectively committed a war crime, but in context, we do need to understand that this is all happening within context. He orders the the settlers um, and the marine, or the marines that have come with the settlers to go on an expedition. So basically he's like, I want you to go into Bidjigal country, which is Pemaway's. I want 10 captured and two killed. Oh, sorry, 
10 killed, 2 captured, I believe. Okay, right. Yeah, jeez. But Pemaway, like, and they knew it was Pemaway. The reason why is they write down it was the guy with the scarred left eye who killed McIntyre. That's mm. Pemaway. Yeah, and okay. so, so he knows who it is, but his revenge attack is more or less to say, you don't do that again. But this has massively escalated it, right? Because now rather than just killing or going after Pemaway, you've gone after mm. all these in- innocent indigenous people. And then that kind of, what happens is the Marines actually aren't able to find any because the Bidjigal people are so good at knowing where to hide in the land and knowing and kind of having knowledge of the terrain that they come back empty handed. Philip says, go again. Mm. At that point, it's well and truly war. Yeah. And that's the real beginning of the frontier wars in Sydney. And so Pemelay is pretty boss. He goes into Botany Bay for a fight and he kind of, yeah, kind of what he does is he continues to attack outskirts. So he goes after settlements in the Georgia River, goes after Parramatta, Toongabby. He goes as far north as the Hawkesbury. Like he gets around mm. pretty, like most, most of Sydney. And then he rocks up in Botany Bay for another stage of the war. He f- comes up against a guy called John Caesar. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I was just thinking, John Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I never thought. Of- <laughs> I was thinking more Julius Caesar. Sound <laughs> man, what a what a grand WWE entry it would be. Five hundred year old John Caesar, or oh, not five hundred, what two fifty, two hundred fifty year old John Caesar enters the arena. Um, his story is really interesting because he was black. Okay, so he yep. was probably a co- is probably a colonist from we believe Madagascar or the West Indies. As in a colonist, like... As in, uh, it was in a criminal sent to Australia that was originally from the West Indies yeah, or okay. from Madagascar. Yeah. He um he shoots Pemaway in the face. Oh, just like just like Stone Cold. Just, just bang. Just like, yeah, yeah uh, like it was in the context of like... In a battle uh, or un- something. Yeah, sort. under orders, not just a... Um, Pemaway survives. Okay. He gets captured, taken to prison. He's got a leg iron on in prison and he's effectively been shot in the head. And he breaks free. Wow, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the Brit- that's the British response. So there's this mythology that Pemaway is invincible that goes across the British soldiers. This guy can't be killed. He got shot in the face from point blank range, and he escaped from prison with a leg iron on. Yeah. So he didn't take the leg iron off. He was just too strong for the leg iron. Jeez. So Pemaway comes comes out of that. He is not the same Pemaway though. He's not able to fight with the same veracity, but he's an incredibly good organizer. And he actually he actually talks colonists into defecting to fight for the indigenous people. Wow. So there's a guy called Thomas Thrush, Thomas Thrush, unfortunate unfortunate name. Um yeah. Yeah. who defects and fights for the for the indigenous cause. Uh, there's also another guy as well. I can't remember the other guy's name. I just remember Thomas Thrush because it stood out a bit. But <laughs> <laughs> um Pemway talks these guys into defecting. Interesting. I'd never heard of that before. The the defecting. Yeah. It always sounds like it was um and not that that excuses anything in any regard or makes the story any any nicer. Um but yeah, that sort of nuance in terms of what people actually believed about indigenous people. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. It's so fascinating. And basically, um Pemaway survives I should also add this as well as is a debt I forgot Arthur Philip was recalled to England in 1792 he if I'm not mistaken I can't remember what medical condition I think it was kidney stones he had to medically retire and he never came back even though he wanted to 
Yeah, right. So then we had uh, other governors come in, like Governor Macquarie and Governor Hunter. And in 1802, Pemaway was finally killed. Yep. Okay. How'd that happen? We don't know. We have who we believe. That has been challenged quite recently. So the revisionist take is that was someone from, from and I'm explaining the revisionist take first because the conventional take is more interesting. The revisionist take is that it was someone from Parramatta or Toongabby because that's where kind of Pemaway largely occupied himself. The conventional take and what was historic orthodoxy for a long time was that it was Henry Hacking. Mm. The Interesting. So Henry Hacking's story, he is he's one of the most interesting. Um, real stand-up moral guy. Um, he shot his mistress while having an affair and that was effectively, like he was eventually exiled to Tasmania for shooting his mistress while they were having an affair. Um yeah, right. So, okay. yeah, real, real stand-up guy. <laughs> um, he was kind of Governor Hunter's fixer in okay. the sense that he would basically uh, travel as far north as the Hawkesbury, sometimes even further north than the Hawkesbury to, like, deal with issues, i.e., you know, deal with Indigenous people. So that kind were, of this, this enforcer. Yeah, type. that were blocking, yeah. like... Jobs and growth, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so Henry Hacking. Oh, my days. <laughs> so Henry Hacking is believed to be the one who shot Pem away. Um, but yeah, eventually he shot his mistress, was exiled to Tasmania. Actually sent, spent a bit of time in Norfolk Island, then went to Tasmania. Oh, so he shot his mistress whilst in Australia. Yeah. Right. And so, I, can't, I think it was theft or some other petty crime that he was originally sent yeah. out here for. So Henry Hacking is the one that they believe. So was he having an affair or was she? Well, both. Uh, maybe both. The mistress implies. Yeah. No, but sorry. It's not that he walked in on his, his wife having an affair. No, no, no. It yeah, shot, the, shot the woman he was having an affair with. <laughs> <laughs> and we named, we named our river after him. Oh, my. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah, Henry Hacking gets the... So the the river that's south of Botany Bay, he gets that named after him. Port Hacking is the actual little cove itself. Yeah. Okay. So that's why it's called Port Hacking. It's not really a port. As in like where the ferry leaves? Like, Is there a Port Hacking ferry? No. Wait, where? So the cove itself, which cove of Port Hacking? The the bay that's in between like, yeah, Lilypilly, Crenella area. Yeah. Like the first one you get to as you come and you enter from the ocean, right? I, I'm confusing myself. So Port Hacking is you go past Cronulla. Yeah, so yeah. not the one that's like... You go further south than Cronulla. Yeah, so not the one that's like Daruk Park and Gunnamatta Bay and all that sort of stuff. So not that little cove. Yeah. But the next cove that's afterwards, that's on one side, it's kind of your Woolaware Road. The other side, it's your like Lilypilly. Yeah. 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 In between that area, that that itself is Port Hacking, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Where a number of bull sharks actually have been noted to be found. There you go. Why he got that named after him, I don't know. Yeah. I tried looking looking onto it. It's just, it always has been. <laughs> The Hacking yeah, River, Port okay. Hacking, has a high school named after him as well. Yeah. But yeah, he shot, he's believed to have shot Pemaway and been the one to have killed him and was rewarded by getting the Hacking River named after him. I see. So basically, Pemaway's son carries on the resistance and then he dies in 18, he gets killed in 1810. And then from that point onwards, Sydney Cove is pretty well established. Skirmishes exist for a fair while afterwards, but they're just skirmishes. We're going to do, an, I want to do, I really want to do another episode where we go to like Bathurst and the Blue Mountains. Okay. Because that is really interesting. Yeah. Do you remember 
like your your Blacksland's and your Lawson's. Like, do you remember them the guys sh- that cross the Blue Mountains? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indigenous people have been doing it forever. So, oh yeah, you would. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the the colonist right of the indigenous people fleeing into the mountains. So clearly, they knew how to cross it if they that's yeah. where they went to flee. So again, it's one of those other things where it's like. I guess, I guess it, it maybe it is more of a like for for a white person to be able to do it, considering no knowledge of the land and that sort of stuff. Mm, yeah, like still impressive. Don't be wrong, but yeah, indigenous people have been able to do it since I'm assuming like forty thousand BC or whatever. Yes, or maybe not that far because they're originally the north of Australia rather than the south. But yeah, basically they're forced to retreat. The Sydney frontier wars kind of died down to mm-hmm. just small skirmishes after that point. So they're sort of like the indigenous have sort of given up the fight in some respect. Like they're, they, the British are kind of just here to stay. Yeah. In a sense, like in a sense, everything's done on a smaller scale. Yeah. And a lot of indigenous people are now turning like, okay, they're here. We've now got to kind of try and survive. So either retreat or pursue some sort of coexistence with them at that point. Yeah. A lot of them also just die from smallpox. Yeah. That's the other big thing as well. Mm-hmm. So it's really grim for the indigenous people by the year 1810. Sydney is well, pretty well established. Benelong goes back, lives a traditional lifestyle, is involved in some raids against the British. Mm-hmm. And the British kind of deride Benelong massively. They're like, why would this guy give up a life of civility for you know, a life of savagery, um, to use the word they would have used at the time. And he actually just lives an indigenous lifestyle till he dies. And by 1810, that's pretty much where Sydney's at. To come full circle on the whole Terra Australis thing, I'm going to bring in two guys into the picture that need to be brought in. There's two big guys we haven't mentioned yet. We are big dogs. Flinders. Bass and Flinders. Yeah. So Bass was on the boat with Benelong back to Britain. Okay. What was Uh, Bass's role? Bass was uh, kind of a mapper and cartographer. Okay. So an explorer. Bass goes missing. Probably somewhere near Chile is what we think. I want to do another podcast on who killed George Bass. Wow. A true crime podcast. Um, and what was his influence on the Chilean Pinochet coup? <laughs> <laughs> it's just worth an ask. That's all. <laughs> um, right. How do you get, what do you mean? Like he's just missed the boat. Like they've gotten off for a little, like stopped at the servo kind of thing. And he's just not gotten back on the boat. I think his <laughs> ships just sunk before getting to Chile. Oh, okay. is my theory. Yeah. Again, when PY asked, or maybe you asked on the Harold Holt podcast, what other high-profile people have gone missing? And I said Amelia Earhart. I cannot believe I forgot to say George Bass. Mm. So George Bass goes missing, which means Flinders loses his partner in crime. And he actually becomes a little bit... I wouldn't say the word disillusioned. Maybe the word cynical in his old age. And Matthew Flinders, in the year, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's 1812, he, um, somewhere around that time, Matthew Flinders basically says... The look, Terra Australis is not a thing. Clearly, as all this has gone on, we've realized that Terra Australis doesn't exist. There is no great land of the south. There's Australia, but well, not called that at the time. There's this land, New Holland, but there's nothing further south. So the most appropriate thing to do would be to call this place Terra Australis. Terra Australis is quite harsh sounding, not particularly nice. Let's rename it to be Australia. Wow, so it was Flinders that Flinders. That, wow. So Flinders says, let's call it Australia. There is no great land of the South. And so literally for 2000 years, even more, the world had been waiting to find this great Southern land to call Terra Australis. Flinders gives up in 1812 and is like, all right, we'll just call it this. 
eight and twenty they find Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> so they missed it by eight years. <laughs> this two thousand year wait, they <laughs> pulled the plug. Oh, that's funny. Say. So, our country's name mugs off Aristotle, <laughs> Aristotle's <laughs> Ptolemy, William Young's like Dirk Hartog. <laughs> and so there's a silver lining from this story. It's that our name it's just <laughs> mugged off these yeah. titans of history. <laughs> and that's the story of how um, like European Australia came into existence and the name Australia came into existence. Wow, what a roller coaster! It I- is. We should just play this podcast to all year three students around, <laughs> around the country. Especially those Assassin's Creed references. Yeah. They'd love that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of where we go from here, there are a couple. So the Tasmanian frontier wars, really fascinating, really sad, really fascinating. Mm. The expansion into Bathurst and then eventually the Eureka Stockade. Oh, and now the, we're talking. And the gold, and the gold five, rush. Year five. Oh, my gosh. Do we just redo all the terrible parts of primary school and make, try and make them good? I don't know. But there's there's more to be had with this story. We're not done here, mm. but this is where we'll call it for today. 1820, Antarctica is found. And Matthew Flinders is just there like, yeah, my bad guys. <laughs> to all those. I might have been a little hasty. <laughs> Like, I can just imagine all the force ghosts in front of Matthew Flinders. <laughs> it's just like, look, we all make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Like, yeah. Aristotle, you had terrible science. I pulled the plug too early. It happens. It happens. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, I'm only human. You know? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it's been an hour, so I think we should call it there. Yeah, but what a fun hour it's been. That was a very fun hour. And PY will be over from COVID next week. It's a shame. I feel like both these, like, yeah, we've had a lot of fun. And it's a shame that PY wasn't here to enjoy it with us. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure he'll be back next week and ready to go. Ready to go. Until then, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.